This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! Welcome to the Not Quite Daily Show, Summer 2018, Episode 17. Today we are particularly talking about the 11th episode of Rayview Starlight and how it sets us up for next week's finale. Last time we floated the idea that Hikari might wish for a reset in a similar vein to what Banana had been doing all the times that she won. She said goodbye to Karen at the end while also declaring that she wouldn't steal her shine, which suggested she was both going away for good and was going to prevent the stealing of shine from the other competitors. It turns out there was no timeline reset, but we got a kind of reset nonetheless. Hikari leaves everyone's shine intact and vanishes from the school entirely. Despite some initial surprise, the year proceeds normally. The casting comes out for the next Starlight, and it's the same eight who won the roles the year before. If there had been no underground auditions and no Hikari, this might be exactly the way it would have gone anyway. It's almost like Hikari erased the whole top star competition along with herself. And this would largely be true, except for its effect on Karin. This episode dedicates a lot of time to Karin and her overwhelming sorrow and confusion due to the loss of Hikari. Using so much of the runtime to trace her progression elevates this journey of Karin's to a prominent place in the series. During these months of struggle, the book upon which our central play is based shows up yet again, and with a far more important role. Its appearance leads me to ask a question which, alongside Karin's journey, is the central idea of this video. Who is the Starlight Gatherer? Now, while we've seen some of the Starlight Gatherer book before, Karan's effort to translate it gives us additional insight into the original story. This is critical to Karan figuring out what became of Hikari, but it also helps us understand some of the interplay between symbolic elements. In particular, there is the final passage of the book, which has these four lines. Starlight Gathering is forgiveness of sins. Starlight Gathering is a wonder of night. Starlight, the shining of hope, your shines are the starlight. Now we aren't going to try to pull these apart as though analyzing poetic verse or anything, partially because I'm unsure whether a native English speaker wrote them, uh, but the ideas connected in this passage are still of value to us. That very last line creates a direct association between the abstract notion of shine that has been bandied about all series with the concept of starlight from which our play takes its name. This has a lot of implication for the meaning of the book's title, which we'll address more in the final section. For now, let's consider this link and how the Tower to the Stars in the story appears to mirror the underground audition process. I said last time that Hikari seemed to realize that their whole competition for Top Star was itself a retelling of Starlight, that they were actually walking through their own version of the story. 
Thus, fighting through the goddesses is akin to fighting one's classmates to rise and rank. One proceeds up through the steps on the giraffe's leaderboard just as surely as proceeding up the steps of the tower until only two remain at the top. Then, as in her London auditions, as in Starlight, only one person can actually grasp the star. After someone does win the audition, though, the shine is taken from the others in the competition to power the stage that the winner desires. This seems to be represented by the imprisonment of the goddesses. They are described as being sleeping and near death, and that over time had even forgotten why they had been imprisoned there. Doesn't that sound a lot like how Hikari behaved after her shine was taken in the London auditions? Presumably how all of the losers in the audition would behave afterwards? Were it not for Hikari's choice, everyone might be suffering through the same malaise as Karin. Now, why Karin is this way when Hikari specifically didn't steal her shine actually helps us understand one of the things that shine can mean. The term is a bit nebulous, and I don't want to get sidetracked by translation discrepancies, but shine appears to be both the brilliance of one's presence while performing on stage, and the desire or motivation one has to be on stage in the first place. For the stage girls, it is both cause and effect. All of them have reasons to want to be on stage, and there is much variety and nuance among the girls. A lot of the series has been about them starting with one assumption about their shine and coming to a different conclusion as part of the audition process. Their particular flavor of shine goes through transformation. Karin, though, has always only been motivated by her desire to share the stage with Hikari. Without Hikari, she just isn't as motivated, nor does she shine as much, which is plain to see in the way the auditions played out during Banana's reign versus how they have this time through. Ironically, Karin has been involved in a lot of the girls being able to find peace after falling short of what they originally wanted, yet she herself has not ever had this kind of development and transformation. That finally changes with this 11th episode, which is what our next section is about. Before we begin that, though, let's reflect on the other parallel for our audition process, which is the external reference of the Takarazuko review. If the Tower to the Stars, with its imprisoned goddesses, is a parallel to the auditions, and therefore to the review system, then that is a metaphor that is not pulling its punches. We've spoken before about how the Takarazuko review concentrates so much of its focus and energy on the promotion of its top stars, and how they become the face and drawl of their respective troops. While hundreds of girls compete for the spot, only one succeeds at a time, and may hold the position for years. What happens to all the rest? They carry on, their dream potentially just out of reach, and are the somewhat faceless support structure to the top star's reign. All of their desires and hopes, all of their shine, go into promoting their top star into loftier heights. Like the girls who fail the auditions in our anime, their efforts largely are what make the top star's stage possible. Their own desire for the same position makes it prestigious, and yet their failure is what makes it exclusive. To have these women symbolized as goddesses trapped in a tower, deprived of their shine as though sleeping or near death, well, that is not a kind commentary on the Takarazuka system. Anyway, let's talk about Karin's journey. During our series, most of the other girls had a key moment of losing in the auditions, extracting some lesson from it, and changing themselves. Karin lost to Maya in the third episode, and yet she didn't seem to learn anything. She was so intimidated by Maya's performance that her head was reeling. 
A quick look at the leaderboard after this showed her on the very bottom, seemingly losing her nerve about the whole affair. Hikari's slap and seeming disappearance the next episode now seem to be related to this event of Karin learning nothing or retracting from any growth. Karin ends up getting a renewed sense of purpose from the idea of Hikari being gone that day and shows an extreme single-mindedness about finding her and connecting. This is all a prelude to today's much longer and more desperate journey, and just like before, Karin has lost in the audition and therefore has a chance to transform herself and her shine. The trick to both of these is that Karin relies too much on Hikari. She has not developed her own will in her own right. Even the day that they are apart after that first loss, she relies on clues from Hikari to eventually meet up and make up. As mentioned before, she wasn't even serious about the auditions or her role in Starlight until Hikari showed up again. This is actually something Hikari herself fusses at Karin about when they were younger when speaking about Hikari's impending move to London. She says that when she is around, Karin always relies on her. That's why she won't come back until she is a star. That means Karin's end of the deal is to also become a star while they are apart, and to do so on her own. But Karin never really did that. Now that Hikari has wished herself off stage, Karin is adrift and aimless without her. Hikari was worried about stealing Karin's shine without realizing that Hikari herself was that shine. Karin doesn't care about being on the stage in and of itself, but only because it was a dream they shared. She does not get over it in short order, but is still desperate to find Hikari months later, still carrying on with phone calls and texts as though they'd only been apart a day or two. As the messages pile up unanswered, the letters returned to sender, she still shows no sign of giving up on reaching her, though with increasingly less hope. Her lack of will eventually shows up in her performance, and she echoes the same words Hikari used to describe how she felt after losing her shine in the London auditions. At this point, even the others begin to admonish her, telling her to snap out of it, to get it out of her head, and that they can replace her if she can't continue. The shift comes with her opening the Starlight Gatherer book. Even at first, she talks aloud to Hikari as though she were there, saying that she can't read this on her own. Karin's English is not equal to the task. It's hidden as humor, but we actually get a baseline demonstration of Karin's ability when she tries to make the phone call to the Royal Academy. Because of that call, we know what an enormous task it would be for her to translate an entire book in English on her own. It would require great effort from within herself, with no one to help her. It's just the same position she is in during the previous auditions. Thus, Karin's journey to being self-reliant and accomplishing something on her own becomes this translation of the Starlight Gatherer. Where before she was struggling to find purpose on the stage and had no enthusiasm for her role, in this endeavor, she is a woman possessed. The others take notice. They chastise her for her Hikari obsession when it left her empty, but when seeing her apply herself to the translation, the girls are all supportive. For a lot of them, something Karin did or said helped them in their own personal journey, finding peace with the outcome of the auditions. Now they are returning the favor once Karin sets to something transformative for herself. While Karin is actually just translating a book, right? We should understand that this is symbolically about her reaching into herself and understanding more fully. Turning the book from something mysterious into something she grasps is just like the process of finding oneself through introspection and growth. I'll have something else to say on that matter later on. Interestingly enough, 
This effort brings her closer to understanding Hikari also. Since Hikari knew the actual source story, she understood Starlight in a different way than the rest of them. Karin's completion of the translation puts the two of them on the same page, truly, for the first time. Only then does she understand why Hikari did what she did, and what she meant by the review of tragedy being her Starlight. The question that remains then is what is that story actually about? Who or what is the Starlight Gatherer? There are several candidates, and perhaps even several answers. The wording of the last passage, the part that gave Karin the hint she needed, suggests that Claire slash Hikari is imprisoned to atone for their sin. One of those four lines we mentioned earlier further states that Starlight Gathering is forgiveness of sins. This suggests Hikari is the Starlight Gatherer, that she has gathered their sin to herself and then become a sacrifice so that only she will need to atone, not all of them. This sounds quite a bit like how our audition process has shaken out, right? Hikari chose not to steal the shine from the other girls, instead suffering the consequence of the audition process herself. She is imprisoned in that snowy waste to atone for their sin. From the perspective of the other girls, this matches up with another one of those ending lines, Starlight, the Shining of Hope. It's only later that they all realize the significance of her choice, but each of them is only able to continue as they had because she gathered their sins to herself. But of course, this is not the way the audition process usually goes. Usually, the top star gathers the other shine to herself and uses it to create a stage of her choosing. While those who emerge victorious no doubt are glad for whatever benefit they derive, they don't know going in that they are stealing shine from the others. They intend to overcome and best everyone else, sure, but they might not be as enthusiastic if they knew what it cost the rest. They, too, become starlight gatherers, just inadvertently. The one who does know what is happening is the giraffe. He oversees these auditions, knowing exactly what it costs and exactly what kinds of girls would be drawn in by the allure of top star. Yet this is not charity on his part, nor is he a neutral bystander. He himself wants to see new and interesting things on stage, despite the cost. He gathers these girls and stages together to see what kind of performance they can create, ultimately stealing shine from the losers to power a further stage, something that springs from the will of the top star and is therefore unknown to him. He is the starlight gatherer, creating a stage for a repeating tragedy to fuel his own viewing pleasure. He is trapping goddesses in the tower for eternity with the temptation of the star at its top. He gathers their sins and their shine, transferring the two between winners and losers to create the top star and their exalted stage. Now, maybe one of those is the true identity of the Starlight Gatherer. Maybe they all are. Certainly the way the story exists right now, we can make an argument for each of them. But I'm going to propose one more possible candidate for this title though it implies a rewrite of the usual story. Perhaps Karin is the Starlight Gatherer. The key to this perspective is everything that happens after she realizes that Hikari has imprisoned herself in the tower. There is no hesitation or pause. Karin immediately takes off for the elevator. She is going to claw her way in if she has to. It's worth pointing out that though Karin's will and hope may have wavered during those months, her faith in Hikari never did. Never once did she blame her, feel betrayed by her, lash out at her, or ever stop trying to reach her. She doesn't accept that they've had their time together. She insists their performance is yet to begin. 
But for that to happen, she has to find a way to stand on the same stage. How is she going to accomplish this? Once Karen's renewed desire makes admittance to the underground theater possible, she begins the descent of a long, long staircase. Along this journey, she is accompanied by the rest of the girls, one or two at a time. The order in which this happens is the same order of the decisive character moments for each of them over the course of the series, beginning with Juna and ending with Maya and Claudine together. Karen actually says nothing during this descent. Instead, each girl or pair gives a reason that they are waiting for Hikari, a reason that she should take her rightful place among them on stage. Each of these reasons relate directly to the transformation these characters went through, and we get visual reminders that tie back to their prominent character moments. Juna finds her old inspirational note in the copy of her new script, reminding her to reach for a star of her own. Mahiru puts Hikari's jellyfish plushie next to her bear one, the same action that signaled Hikari's willingness to stay at the end of episode 4, and now reaffirms Mahiru's willingness to have her. Kaoruko and Futaba, only indirectly affected by Karan, do not share the staircase with her. However, they do share the stage of their review alongside it. The place that was once their battleground is now a place they stand together. Banana is working hard into the night on the new starlight, not bothered by the remains of her precious 99th Seisho festival all around her. She echoes Karan's words about a single burning moment that lasts forever, a moment that is so intense precisely because it will one day end. Maya and Claudine escort her separately at first, but each complements and completes the other's thoughts until joining together at the end. I said last episode that the emphasis on the various teams and relationships at this point meant that these bonds were critical to the story's meaning. Now as Karen sets off in pursuit of Hikari, the reaffirming of these bonds between the girls is extended to Hikari herself. They are all waiting for her on the stage. The starlight with only eight of them is no longer the starlight they want to see. Normally in the audition process, and in the normal starlight story, the girls compete for the top, spending their shine against one another until but one remains, with the rest empty in defeat. Yet in this version, thanks to Karin and Hikari, the defeated girls are not empty, and not bitter or resentful about not achieving the top. They are not imprisoned by negative emotions. Rather, each has come to a better understanding of their shine and what it means to them, and they keep this shine for themselves. It's a complete reversal of the story. And so was this staircase descent. Usually in Starlight, the heroines begin at the bottom of the stairs, find goddesses waiting there, and must fight their way to the top, where only one ultimately remains. Instead, Karin begins at the top of the stairs, alone, is then accompanied by the goddesses on the way down, and leaves them on the stairs, waiting on her to return. She and Claudine, who plays Flora in Starlight, just as Karin plays Flora in our real-life parallel, she and Claudine even go down in the little elevator together for a time, the same elevator that is used to go up in the Starlight stage play. A reversal. The only thing left is to go forth and link up with the other heroine. Now, what is Karen doing this whole time she descends? She's gathering up their words to take to Hikari, their encouragement, their desire to wait to stand together. She's gathering up their starlight, not by force, and not for some selfish wish. Their starlight is given freely, for a wish they share among themselves. 
Since they accompany her in the exact order of their moments of the series, this staircase journey can be seen as the journey through all the episodes to this point. Karen has been gathering their starlights all along. Not to use herself or to tread on so that she can stand taller, climb higher, reach the top of the tower. Instead, she is gathering them up and walking them down and out of that tower altogether, out of that system. She is the starlight gatherer, and there's one more thing that makes me think so. I mentioned I'd have something else to say about her translating efforts and how they paralleled personal introspection. Well, this is it. She has been translating the Starlight Gatherer, herself, from something she barely understood to something she knew from end to end. All the others grew in their understanding of themselves, gaining a better grasp of their own shine. Now Karin, ironically last of all, can join them. She just has one more person she needs to walk out of that tower, and perhaps this is just what she has been gathering that Starlight for. I don't know how this plays out exactly. Hikari is isolated in some frozen waste, the toppled stage and toppled hope of Tokyo Tower, the landscape's only feature. She speaks of remembering it, the promise, but there is little else to go on. There has been more than one of those too, you know. They promise to meet at the gift shop again, to go to the aquarium together, to do starlight, and so on. Which of these is the one she means? If I had to guess, I would pick this one. Each said they would become a star and meet again, and Hikari says that she'll see her on stage, with Karin responding that yeah, it's a promise. Hikari will insist that it is more than a promise, it is fate. Now that Karin has kept her end of the deal through this episode's character development, it has a chance of coming true. They can be the fated couple. There is the chance that we are also right about Hikari being a starlight gatherer, except gathering the girl's sins together rather than their shine, this notion of sins and atonement isn't very developed in the series, so it's hard to guess exactly what is meant. But if it is related to the sin of wanting to compete against your peers, to elevate yourself above the rest, ultimately at their expense, then perhaps I can see how this jives with both the prisoner atoning and the goddesses being trapped. Usually the top star is somewhat absolved of their guilt, as the punishment is instead transferred to all those who failed. Hikari does the opposite, agreeing to be locked in the tower to atone for everyone else's sins, just like Claire, and thus are the rest spared. Maybe then, Karin's path to victory here is to convince Hikari that there is no sin to atone for. The girls have all made peace with how they stacked up, the things they learned about themselves, the relationships they've made or strengthened. What Karin gathered from them as she traveled down the staircase and through the series was not bitterness toward the victor or despair at their own outcome. Rather, they volunteered their affirmation of their role and mindset, and offered invitations to Hikari to join them, to find her own peace and place on the stage. They don't need anyone to suffer in their place. They have already faced their trials and come out the other side. Hikari jumped to the conclusion that only one person could grasp the star. She may have just as surely jumped to the conclusion that she needed to take on Claire's role of the atoning prisoner. I'm sure Flora wants to save Claire from the tower, wants to walk her out of her imprisonment. But if that is not an option, then I think Karen still makes good on the promise. If the only stage she and Hikari can stand on together is that isolated, eternal winter, well, I wouldn't be surprised if Karen assents to being locked up right alongside her. 
She'd gladly lie naked in the snow so long as it meant they were together. Starlight might indeed be a story of separation, but I imagine Karin would rather separate from the world entire than be separated from Hikari. The only stage Karin values, has ever valued, is the one she shares with Hikari. Hikari is the source of her shine, her starlight. If sharing the prisoner's fate is the only way to gather them together, then so be it. I will see you next time, then, on the stage of fate. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash nearlyonred. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.